Hey guys, this is Robert from Limitless Broadcasting. And Sammy. I was getting to you. (laughs) But we wanted to tell you some exciting news. We are going to be at the Indiana Comic Con, March 22nd through the 24th. That's going to be at the Indianapolis or... Indiana Convention Center. In Indianapolis, let's say that. (laughs) So if you were going to the convention, please come over to the Limitless Broadcasting booth Mm -hmm. and say hello. Yeah, I believe it was booth 1710. 1710. Yes, so it's a huge convention. Yeah. Probably the biggest one I think we've been to. Yeah, this is going to be like Megacon. Yeah, unfortunately I will not be there in person. Robbie will be there but he's going to have some uh, fun friends with him. Yes. Including, I believe, from Pixie Dust Twins, Ashley. First con for her. And so if you're there, ask us about Rant Radio because you can win $1,000 from Limitless Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very excited about that. And who doesn't love a good rant? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we will, or I guess I should say Robbie, will see you soon at the Indiana Comic Convention. And what days... Are you going to be there one more time? Uh, we're going to be there the 22nd through the 24th of March. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you guys there soon. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye. You're listening to the Limitless Broadcasting Network. What's your favorite scary movie? You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish, understand? It's showtime. Hello guys, and welcome to another episode of the Can't Kill the Boogeyman podcast. I'm your host, Robert. And I'm Sammy. And this is produced by Limitless Broadcasting. As always. As always. Yes. So we're switching things up a little bit today. We're not talking about uh, Halloween. No. (laughs) But the reason why is because Scream 6 just dropped. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to tell you our thoughts and what we thought of it. And we wanted to do an episode now about it. So Yeah. Since it just came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's killing it at the box office. It is. It's doing very well. We've seen it twice already. We did. Once opening night mm-hmm. and just a few days ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we'll say that it's just as entertaining, even more entertaining the second time around. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So yeah. they did a phenomenal job. They definitely made up for the requel. Yes. Because that was uh, that was terrible. Yeah, I will go, that I mean, rated very low on our scale. I mean, it was okay, mm-hmm. but this was a hell of a lot better, and it left you excited about the franchise. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. So what do you have for us? I have a lot. <laughs> okay. Since we waited to do the episodes and when more trivia and everything would come out, so, uh-huh. yeah. All right, so, as you said, Scream 6. We have to finish the movie. Who gives a fuck about movies? Taglines, there's two. New York, new rules. In a city of millions, no one hears you scream. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. A little basic, but they're not bad. Taglines. 
So for this summary, in the next installment, the survivors of Ghostface Killings leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh new chapter in New York City. My thing is they all went together. Yeah. Not like as a big like group. Like it's not like. What do you mean? You know, if the ghost face ever popped up back up, which he does, you're an easy target. Yeah, that's so, true. Mm-hmm. That's my thinking. Yeah, I get you. But their thought was they stick together. Safety to help. in numbers. Yes, exactly. So keep going. Either way. Yeah. This is rated R as usual, as you would expect. Genre, horror, mystery, and thriller. Directors on this one, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Producers, not quite as many as we had on the last Halloween movie, <laughs> a little bit shorter list, but we have Gary Barber, an executive producer, Courtney Cox, of executive producer, good job, Kathy Conrad, executive producer, Ron Lynch, executive producer, Marianne Madalena, executive producer, lots of executive producers, Paul Neinstein, producer, uh, Peter Olga Tagera, Oleg. I'm sure I just butchered that. that. Executive producer, William Shrek, producer, James Vanderbilt, producer, Chad Valea. Valea? James Vanderbilt, like from Varsity Blues? Is that the same guy? I think possibly. That would be really cool. I had no idea that, that he was involved in these. Or uh, maybe just this one. Chad Valea, executive producer, Kevin Williamson, executive producer. So writers, James Vanderbilt, Guy Busick, Kevin Williamson got credit for the characters. Cinematographer on this one is Brett uh, Jet Ooh, A nice Jewish name. Kowitz. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Brett. Brett. Brett did this movie. There yes. We go. We'll just shorten it. Release date, March 10th, 2023. We did see it in theaters the night it came out. Yes, we did. Yep, we were there. Budget is 35 million estimated. It's gross so far, because mind you, obviously it's still in theaters, but as of like a day or two ago, 89.8 million. So definitely made its money back and it's opening weekend. It made its money back actually. Yeah. It's budget, 44.4 for opening weekend. Runtime is two hours and three minutes, and it's distributed by Paramount Pictures, just like the last one. So the camera, they use it, is it Ari? Ari. Ari, Alexa, Alexa Mini. Mini, and Cook S5i lenses. This is the second Scream film that was shot digitally, and also the first not to be filmed with anamorphic lenses. Okay. The first five installments were filmed with Panavision anamorphic lenses, although Scream 1996 was also shot on a Claremont scope anamorphic lens. Instead, this movie was shot on spherical Cook S5i lenses. Okay. I don't know what any of that means, but there you go. All right, ratings. This is sitting at a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Not bad. 77% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. And when I last looked, audiences were giving it a 91. Yeah, I could see that. That's got to be like one of the if not the highest scream rating can you really go past the the original do you think this is better than the original i don't necessarily think it's better than the original but i think the rating that's what i'm saying might be higher let's see what was the original scream original scream was sitting at a 79 percent audience score and a 7.4 on imdb 
Uh, so it was a little bit higher on IMDb, but the audience score so far is much higher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not saying necessarily it's two different time periods too. Absolutely. So, you know, but that's where we're at. So cast, we have Melissa Barrera as Sam returning. Jenna Ortega, of course, is back as Tara. Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy. Mason Gooding as Chad. Courtney Cox, of course, is back as Gail. Roger L. Jackson is once again our voice of Ghostface. Hayden Pantier. Kirby. Back as Kirby. Yes. Dermot Mulroney is Wayne Bailey, who's the detective in Quinn's father in this movie. And if you forget, just we'll stop right here. There are spoilers in this. Lots of spoilers. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So you haven't seen it. Now's a good time to turn this off. Exactly. We always do spoilers in our shows, but I just it popped in my head as I was reading the cast. Like we will be doing spoilers. Okay. Thanks. You've been warned. All right. Uh, Liana Liberato as Quinn Bailey, who's a student and the roommate of Sam and Tara, and also the daughter of the detective. Jack Champion is Ethan Landry, who's a student and Chad's roommate. Devin Nakoda is Anika Kayoko, a student at Blackmore and Mindy's girlfriend. Josh Segara is Danny Brackett, who is Sam and Tara and Quinn's um, Sam. I'm sorry. Let's try this again. Danny, who is Sam, Tara, and Quinn's neighbor. I don't know why it was so hard for me to get out. And then Sam's secret boyfriend. Right. As we find out. Tony Revolori as Jason, who's the film student. He's right at the beginning of the movie. Doesn't make it very long. And then Henry Cerny, Cerny as Christopher Stone, who's the therapist, Dr. Stone. Skeet makes an appearance as Billy. Once again, he's back. And Samara Weaving appears at the beginning of the film as Laura Crane, who's a film professor at the university. And finally, bless you. Finally, Jack Quaid reprises his role as Richie from Scream in an uncredited video cameo at the end. So Yeah. There you go. That's our main cast. Filming locations. This one is in Montreal, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the first one. And in fact, that's my first filming fact. This is the first Scream film to be shot outside the United States. So, yes, that is true. Must have given him a hell of a tax credit. This film was greenlit on February 3rd, 2022, just three weeks after Scream 2022 was released. After the requel. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised about that. It must have made enough money for them to consider it okay. But I'm glad that they got the opportunity to. To redeem themselves. Yes, exactly. This is the longest film in the franchise. So there you go. That two hours and three minutes makes it the longest. And it's the first film in the series where the numbers in the title is actually in Roman numerals. But that was a creative way to do it because they could do it part of the M. So yeah. I like that they did that. I thought that was that was fun. This is the first film in the series to get a 3D release. Yeah. And while scouting out the best actors for the parts, uh, Bettinelli Open and Gillette had each of them read a ghost face monologue, regardless of whether or not their character would wind up being the killer. And this was to, obviously they don't want the secret to get out, right? You don't want the the uh, script leaking. Right. So when we're casting these roles specifically, they read sides for their character, and then everyone that we cast read a monologue, a ghost face monologue, Gillette told uh, Collider. Part of it is to throw the cast off the scent because you can't cast the, the killer specifically because if you're auditioning multiple people, then multiple people know the ending of the movie, and then it's like a whole mess. 
So they all read Amber's monologue from screen five in addition to their scenes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Fun times. So they would just audition a bunch of people and then pick who they thought was the best? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they did mention that Josh Segarra, who played, uh, what's his face, Jason? The first guy that dies. Danny. Sorry. I don't know why I thought his name was Jason. Um, Danny, at the beginning, uh, was fucking awesome. So. Is that what they said? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I guess that's why he got picked for that part. Cinematographer Brett, what's his name? I'm sorry, cannot say your name. Revealed that this script called for a grittier, more realistic eye than the previous entries. For me, it really started with the new location, getting excited about New York, he said. So I started thinking about ways to both embrace what is particular about New York and the feel of New York, but also ways to heighten the experience of this new setting and the more aggressive Ghostface character. So to achieve that new look, that's why... I guess they changed the lenses. That makes sense. That's what he's saying, that that's why they they switched that up. Um, And he used the spherical lenses, which is the same one that was used for Ready or Not, which um, these writers, producer, director, they they also worked on that movie. They directed. Yeah, directed it. There we go. So there's some crossover there. They directed Ready or Not. That's why the first girl... Was, was in, in it. The, in it. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's a main star from Ready or Not. Yeah, I couldn't remember if they were directors or producers or writers or what it was. So thank you yep. for that fact. Even though I looked up the whole rest of the episode. Even better. I saw the face, but it's okay. Uh, so the combination of these two things I pitched to the directors early on in prep was to change the lenses from the previous film. All five films were shot, as we said, on anamorphic lenses. Um, and they have a particular kind of softness and texture to them that people consider kind of film filmic and has this quality in a way that it renders the image in a very textured way. But spherical lenses are a little more clean, a little more true to the way that the eye sees the world. So it's basically stripping away a little bit of the layer of like basically the artificial layer that comes with making a movie. It makes sense. So that's that's why he chose those lenses. And I think he did a good job. Yeah, I, I like think the they vibe did, of the movie. Did, so. I think they did a great job. Yeah. So the directors, along with their executive producer, even put themselves in the subway scene. I'll bite. Um, I'll bite. I'll beat. I'll, why can't I say that word? Very briefly, they appeared in the movie. It's late. I'm sorry. I'm really struggling with my life. So Bettinelli Open was dressed as Kurt Cobain. Gillette was, um, he put on a fake butcher knife through his head on the subway. I don't even remember seeing these guys. Yeah, there you go. So they said it's very quick, maybe like 12 frames or less, just a quick little flash. You have to be really looking for them. Yep. And then they said the best 12 frames in the movie, certainly the scariest, which made me laugh that they did that. But I thought that was funny. So horror movie references. So the last like Halloween we've been doing for a while and they have horror movie references, but they tend to stick with like Psycho and themselves they don't really branch out right but we know that scream is just like nope we're gonna bring everybody in we're gonna reference all of them and this movie definitely did that that's what makes scream scream it has its own universe yes so there's a lot (laughs) for this section 
Starting off, date rape Frankie asked Tara if she is part of the Omega Beta Zeta sorority. And technically, that's the that's a sorority from Scream Two. Yes, this would be the New York chapter of the same one that CC, aka Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller, died in. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Scream Two, like you said, as a tribute to Wes Craven, who obviously you know directed the first four, basically got the franchise started. The costume designer Avery Plews started with characters from the Horror Legends filmography to populate the subway scene. So we started with Wes, and then we went through A-list horror villains, new and old, and then the stuff that feels really relevant to people today that's part of the zeitgeist. So Scream is all about being meta and referencing the zeitgeist. So, um, you know, that's where they started. So the like Jordan Peele movies, those are very popular. They had Handmaid's Tale zombies on the subway. I don't see, I don't remember seeing I them. I meant to look for them and I forgot. And um, she said, we wanted Mindy to feel terrorized, not just by horror elements, but also by the tropes that would really freak her out that are in the subway. So from the Wes Craven movies, they had Sadie from Last House on the left. Uh, they had a reference to Deadly Blessing. Freddy was on there from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Samantha from Deadly Friend. Horace, Pinker, and Allison Clemson from Shocker. Daddy and a Child from The People Under the Stairs. And Preacher Polly and Detective Rita from Vampire in Brooklyn. So those okay. are all the callbacks to Wes's movies in particular. Okay, that's cool. But there's more. So, other characters that appear in our subway sequence. We have Pinhead spotted. The Babadook. Did you see the Babadook? I did. Okay. Peach Fuzz. Jason. Samara from The Ring. Kyoko from The Grudge. Michael Myers. Grace from Ready or Not, which is pretty funny because, you know, the time. Even extra time. The Creep. Chucky. Pennywise. American artist Andy Warhol. I guess technically not a horror reference, but still. There. The Grady Twins from The Shining, Freddy, as we already said, The Wolf Mask from Creep, Sherry from Stab 6, Italian-American actress and model Julia Fox were all in the subway someplace. And it's like, if you've seen the movie, you know, it's so hard, I feel like, to know. Like, you have to go to this movie multiple times and then just decide you're going to look at the background and not really focus on them. So when it comes out on DVD, you can go frame by frame and and actually see it. Mm -hmm. But in the theaters, it's just... Mm -mm. Too much. It's too hard. And, like, there's a bunch of ghost faces in there, too. So, to keep that in mind. So, you also have ghost face, ghost face, you know, just randomly in there. And then all these other characters. Yeah. The subway is crowded. So, yeah. And it's actually the main characters kind of stick out because they're, like, the only ones not in costume, really. Yeah. I think that's the way they mm-hmm. did it to make to sure make that they stick out. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Samara Weaving, we said she was at the beginning. She played the professor, Laura Crane. She shares the name with Sydney's alias. If you remember, she called herself Laura when she was hiding in Scream 3. Yeah. And her last name is a reference to Marion Crane from Psycho because everybody loves to reference Psycho, apparently. Mindy and Anika are shown eating from a Jiffy Pop aluminum tin, which is what Casey was making before she was killed in the original Scream, which you caught that. I did catch on this, that. I don't know if you caught it the first time, but definitely the second time. You mentioned no, it I, the second time. So I, I got know. it both times. I just okay. pointed it out to you the second time. Mm-hmm. In the subway station, you can clearly see numerous times that they're at station or platform 96. And 1996 is the year the first Scream movie was released. Also, one of the stops is 72nd Street. Might be a reference to the fact that Wes Craven's first movie, The Last House on the Left, came out in 1972. 
And I would assume that was done on purpose. I don't think that these right creators would have not made that a like specifically called out that that stop. stop yeah. I think they did that on purpose. So it's probably safe to say, yeah. Mindy and Kirby discuss their shared love of horror, first by picking their first nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Notable given that the franchise was created by Wes, Wes Craven, Craven, of course. And Drew Barrymore's character declared it in the first scream that all of them after the original sucked. So, you know, I guess Kirby and Mindy agree. And they also praise Friday the 13th, the final chapter, Psycho 2, and both versions of Candyman. So there you go. Uh, at the frat party, Ethan is wearing a cardboard suit of armor like a knight. And this is a reference to an indie horror film by director Jeremy Solnier called Murder Party from 2007. The main character, Christopher, wears the same costume to what he thinks is a party, but turns out to be something more. And I had no idea that that I was I had no a idea either. Yeah, so that's why they had him in that particular costume. So there you go. Two posters for Alfred Hitchcock films are on display in Jason's apartment, Vertigo and Psycho. Once again, Psycho. The directors explained that they couldn't resist one of the more obvious references regarding the New York City set. So Friday the 13th part eight, sorry. <laughs> account i'm sorry about that friday the 13th part eight jason takes manhattan from 1989 i think it's funny really serendipitous the director explains actually we kept making jokes obviously from the first time you read the script jason takes manhattan was part of the conversation but we never had a place for it in the movie to actually call it out and then um what you're talking about we had a list of movies from paramount that they owned and that we could use in the movie so the second we saw that one on the list, we were like, oh, there it is. And it just fell into place. That was the lowest hanging fruit. And oftentimes you don't want to pick the lowest hanging fruit because it feels too obvious. And then you see it and you go, well, there's no better choice. That makes sense. So yeah, that's that's how that got in there. Um, the knock at Samantha's therapist door is apparently the same audio reused from X 2022, which was per performed by director Ty West. West previously worked on VHS with Bettinelli, Open, Gillette, and uh, Villanella. X. Villoa. Okay. Yeah, it's from 2022. Okay. Another scary movie out there. I never saw it, so. Yeah, I should add it to the list. We should just, yeah, check, check that out. During Sam's therapy session with Dr. Stone, various figures could be seen in his office, including ones that depict the entire Adams family. And at the frat party, you can also see a girl that walks by that looks like Wednesday Adams. And of course, we know Jenna Ortega just played Wednesday in right. the series. So, you know, have to assume that's on purpose. Anika's name is in reference to Kayoko Seiki, the villainous ghost from Jew on the Grudge. And it's American remake, obviously, The Grudge, which came out in 2004. So, I think Sarah Michelle Geller was in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And fittingly, Anika is of Asian descent, just like Kayako, who is a Japanese ghost. Okay. There you, uh, there you go. Yeah. Mindy highlights the notion of franchise rules, like bigger budgets, more gore, but particularly franchises killing off legacy characters. And this is obviously her callback to Randy, which she started in the first film. So she is essentially our Randy because her twin brother. Right like knows it but he doesn't offer like any insight he just lets her talk right so yeah so yeah mindy is our new randy 
And um, during one of her monologues explaining the rules of the film, she notes that once the series has become a franchise, main characters are expendable. And the examples she provides are Lori, who died off screen in Halloween 4 and on screen in Halloween Resurrection. Lots of dying for Lori. Lori, yes. Uh, Nancy Thompson, who died in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Ellen Ripley, who died in Alien 3, Sally Hardesty, who died in the 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Jigsaw, who died in Saw 3, Tony Stark, who died in The Avengers Endgame, James Bond, who died in No Time to Die, and obviously the one of the biggest ones, Luke Skywalker, who died in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yes, he did. As far as like famous characters, so... Yeah, there are more similarities with several of these franchises. Scream is also about near indestructible killers who target mostly teenagers using stabbing weapons and are masked or verbally taunt their victims like in Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the heroine always has to face a new team of killers with each installment like Alien, and other people continue to work on continue the work of the killer even after their death as in Saw. And Scream has frequently lampooned the trend of remaking or rebooting franchises, Halloween, Nightmare, James Bond, Star Wars, all of them do it. So not just Scream. Tara is dressed up as a pirate during the frat party, if you remember. Right. And I guess this was a reference to Tyler Gillette and Matt Beninelli Open's work on VHS. So their segment is titled 1031-1998. And featured a foursome of friends who made a fatal mistake in seeking out a costume party and instead stumble upon a cultish ritual. In this segment, the camera holding Gillette was dressed in a teddy bear costume, which is also seen at the frat party, while Beninelli Open was in pirate garb. So it's supposed to be a call to that. And then I guess their EP, Chad Villela, would, appeared as the Unabomber in VHS. Um, which was also supposed to be in Scream 6, but it didn't make it. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't... We obviously are not... I didn't see educated any of enough. this stuff. We are not educated enough to look for this. But I saw... Okay. Before we continue. There was... who I don't know if it was Scream official posted or someone else posted, but they were like, oh, you know, how many times have you went to see Scream? You know, and we were like, oh, we saw it twice. Someone posted on there he saw it six times. I saw Highlander six times. So, Highlanders endgames in the, in, the, in the theater. So I don't know if I would see any movie that many times in a theater. I mean, I can understand. Well, but that's probably how some of this gets caught because yeah, you have to go if back you go to a movie over six over times. Over. You're going to see a lot of stuff. That's why it's making so much money because people yes. are going back over and over and over yep. again. Mm-hmm. So, okay, while the writers acknowledge that Scream 6's final speeches echo that of Laurie Metcalf's Debbie Salt from Scream 2, those parallels were actually selling point and not a concern of them. So they actually liked that the, the speeches were similar. In another link to Friday the 13th, Jason finds his roommate Greg's murdered remains inside the refrigerator in the same way that Friday the 13th Part 2 opens with Alice, the survivor of the original Friday the 13th, finding Mrs. Voorhees' severed head in her fridge before Jason makes his official entrance and stabs her in the temple with an ice pick. All right. All right. So, during the house party, Chad, I guess, is revealed to be a member of the Omega Kappa Beta fraternity. 
And this is the same fraternity that Derek, who is Sydney's boyfriend, With belongs the to in Scream yep. 2. Mm-hmm. Yep. So got another tie-in there to Scream 2. During the scene where Tara and Sam step out of the police station and run into a mob of reporters, I think this was obvious, but Gail confronts them in the exact same fashion that she confronted Sydney in the original Scream. And then, of course, she gets punched, which is always pretty funny <laughs> to see Gail get punched in the face. But I do, I like the little twist to have, you know, there's two of them standing there and Sam misses, but her sister doesn't. So, yeah. yeah, she's like, it's not like it's my first time going through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gail's a tough lady. She gets hit a lot. Yeah, she does, and she puts up with it, so, yeah. Because she knows she's a pain in the ass. She does, she accepts it. And so it's she's just, just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Mindy's rule-explaining monologue also mentions how similar the setting of you know what's going on around them it make is similar to stab two so this is like a meta commentary on scream two both the movies see survivors from the first movie moving out of woodsboro to attend college in the big city yep, yep. and just like scream two's main ghost face was miss loomis seeking to avenge her villainous son's death from the previous movie the killers this time include the father brother and son uh, father brother and sister sorry of richie Again, avenging his death from the previous movie. That is so true. And both finales take place inside of a theater. Yes, they do. Yeah, so there is some more tie-ins for you. The Ghost Face Shrine features nearly three decades worth of items owned by or related to past ghost faces and their victims, including the costumes and bloody knives of the past nine ghost face killers, Casey Becker's rope, Billy Loomis's bloodied white shirt, Stu's red robe, and the TV that killed him. Steve, oh, I'm sorry, if you're listening to this, I did killed in air quotes, just saying. Steve's varsity jacket, Tatum's iconic outfit, Kenny Brown's hat, Randy Meeks's video store uniform, Mrs. Loomis's two-piece white suit, Gail Weathers' collection of books, and um, the mask and sun props from the Windsor College Theater production, if you remember from mm-hmm. Scream 2. Yep. Uh, Jennifer Jolie's fax machine, Jill Roberts' flannel and pants, w. Ha- Deputy Haas's police uniform, Olivia Morris's bloody long-sleeved shirt, and stab mem- memorabilia, DVDs, merchandise, fake costumes, etc. It's a lot of stuff. And I was trying to really look yeah. in the movie, but it's... It's, it's a lot. Just going by, it's hard to focus. Yeah. Samantha's therapist and eventual, eventual Ghostface victim, Dr. Stone, share the same namesake with Scream 3's Ghostface victim, Stephen Stone. So I guess Stone, Stone, similar. Um, and then Sam's therapist is watching the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956 on TV. Kevin McCarthy's character began screaming, you could be next. And I, as soon as that came on, well, you already knew, like, Dr. Stone was going to get it. But when that started playing, I'm like, well, this is definitely it. Because the way the character was screaming yes. on the TV, you could be next. Yeah. I was like, yep. And then he goes to the front door and, of course, goes faces there. And, yeah, that's it. Stabs him through the face. Yep. And something that wasn't mentioned that Robbie and I noticed the first time and then the second time was when Sam is trying to find her sister and she's leaving the therapist's office. She goes by the apartment building where um, Ghostface has just committed his first murder mm-hmm. of the movie, and it's Elm Court. 
Yes. So we're like, well, that has to be on purpose. Cause yeah, absolutely. Oh. And I did not see it referenced in here. So that's something we saw <laughs> and I wrote down <laughs> to remember to bring it up. So there you go. The other thing I had was about literally the, the TV show, he, the movie he was watching. I want to double check it, but it showed up in the facts. So. All right. We got killer facts. Okay. So deaths. We have Laura Crane was killed by Jason. Okay. At the beginning. Greg was killed by Detective Bailey. Jason was killed by Detective Bailey. Um, Danny. Customer. And Wait, owner. no, I'm sorry. Where am I? Hold on. Hold on I'm going to come back to that. Because where... Oh, no, Danny is the boyfriend. I don't know. The name Danny was sticking out in my head, and then I was like, why did I feel like Jason was wrong? But no, I'm sorry. That's just me. Again, it's late. Okay, so the bodega customer and owner were killed by, we're assuming, Detective Bailey, and I will go over why in a second. Dr. Stone, probably Detective Bailey. Anika, Detective Bailey. He does a lot of murders. He is a very, very busy He pretty much kills, like, everybody. Ethan was killed by Tara. Quinn was killed by Sam, and then Sam also kills Wayne Bailey at the end of the movie. So, now, which of the killers was active or committed the murders? Because we have three of them this round. Yeah. So, you kind of have to figure out what's going on. And we literally were doing this, like, in the movie. <laughs> we're Trying just to figure like, out where everybody we're like, was. like, okay, well, it must have been. And so, I, I agree with this. So, Laura, we know Jason killed her, right? Because he literally does it two seconds in the movie and then pulls the mask off. And you're like, okay, what's happening? In this film right a different way to start it uh greg and jason was likely detective bailey because if you remember quinn was at the apartment with whatever dude she was hanging out with at the time and then ethan was at the frat party so yeah they both have true alibis and um it, it was a good point that obviously jason was killed by detective bailey like we watched it happen but for Greg, the, I mean, he was really cut up and put in the fridge. So technically, all three of them or more than one of them could have done that to stick him in the fridge and then the others left. True. So really no for Greg because it was a lot that happened to Greg being stuck in the fridge. Um, yeah. So next one, um, Sam's first phone call when she's walking down the street to go to the police station was probably Detective Bailey. Because, again, Quinn and Ethan were back at the apartment with everybody else. So it would have been harder for them to call. Yeah. I mean, technically they could have, I guess, stepped out and done it. But based on assuming that that's Detective Bailey, then when the attack happens at the bodega, it also makes sense that it was him out and about. Right. Because he's, like, literally talking on the phone and then two seconds later stabs or tries to stab Tara. So it makes sense that it was. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another reason why we assume it would be Detective Bailey, too, in the bodega was because he knew how to use a shotgun. He was very comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that a police officer would feel more comfortable with a gun yeah. versus yes. his two kids. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's another safe one to assume. Dr. Stone was probably Detective Bailey because in that same morning is when all of the kids were having their little meeting like in campus or the park or whatever it was. And the two. So both Ethan and Quinn were there. Yeah. Yeah. Quinn's fake out where she died. So the ghost face there was probably Detective Bailey again. Um, obviously Quinn was not not Dead. in the mask because she was sitting there right. <laughs> while he was behind her. And then Ethan said he was in an economics class 
with like hundreds of other kids. And that checked out. So he had an alibi. So there you go. I mean, the way the what I said in theaters is even though there's a killing on the campus, doesn't mean school stops. Yeah, still gotta and go they, to study hall. They got pissed at him. They're like, you know, you leave, and then th- mm-hmm. this happens. I'm like, bro, I'm still in college. I still mm-hmm. have finals and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. I know you want to watch me, but, but it was a good excuse for him to be gone because he knew what was going to happen too. True. So, but yeah, how convenient. Sam's second phone call. This was Quinn because she was hiding out in Gail's penthouse to try and lure them there. And Bailey was physically in the park with Sam and Tara. And Ethan was physically in the police van with Kirby, Chad, and Mindy. So that leaves Quinn. Yep. And we thought she was dead. Right. So yeah. she was off the suspect list. Yeah. So no one's, no one's so even trying to So she basically did what, what um, uh, uh, Billy Loomis did in the first one. Yeah. They mm-hmm. thought he was dead. And then he, he was go- dead and then he comes reappears. back to life. Yes. No, it's fake. Yeah. Uh, so Gail's phone call, um, obviously we said that was Quinn and she also admitted it at the end. Um, she also admits that she attacked, um, Mindy on the subway. Quinn admits to doing that. So we know that was her too. And again, Ethan at that point in time was literally standing on the subway. So we knew it wasn't him in the costume. And then Detective Bailey was still at the police station. Very brazen that she stabbed her Right in the middle of the subway. Mm-hmm. But nobody's really paying attention anyway. That was the point, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Kirby was attacked by Quinn and Ethan. And Chad was also attacked by both of them. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I frequently like to reference Dead Meat Wiki, as I've said like three billion times whenever we're doing this. And the logo for Dead Meat is shown on under Dr. Stone's TV. And they actually have a YouTube channel. So you can go check that out. And they had a cameo in the original, not the original, Scream 2022. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know, right? I didn't know Where's that. Where's our cameo? Hmm? We need to get a lot bigger. We need to ask somebody for a cameo. We need to get a lot bigger first. I don't care. I don't care if no one knows who we are. I just want to be like, look, we were in the movie. <laughs> That's fine. So the costume designer, Avery Plews, spoke about updating the robes and the mask. So because the film plays... Pays tribute to fallen ghost faces of the past. They wanted to create a new weathered ghost face mask for the franchise's latest killer. And um, she said that she was excited, but also terrified, um, joking about the about joining the Scream franchise. So she said to the directors, you know, this is a silicone mask because I'm always the person that wants to do the most accurate thing. But, you know, it's a Hollywood movie, right? So we're here to scare people, not just do the most scientific version of how the mask would deteriorate. So I started experimenting with it, and I looked at a lot of images. She specifically referenced that she was inspired by porcelain dolls, which those are some creepy fucking things. So good, yeah, good reference. Um, So she said that um, porcelain dolls have scared me throughout time. (laughs) Porcelain dolls and broken dolls. And she still has pictures of them on her phone. Hundreds of images. I cannot imagine. Just delete those, friend. I mean, you don't need them now. If if they, she uses it for work, what if she's going to be on screen seven? Just re-Google it. Oh, my God. Just re-Google it. Oh, my goodness. And then she had um, her partner, Ager Dyer Val, is incredible. She said she's an incredible, incredible artist. She worked with us to establish, okay, we need a crack here. We need a burnout hole here. So, like, trying to make it look perfect, 
when they were putting it together. And the ghost face mask was literally the blueprint. So they would draw on them. And RJ at Fun World, who owns the IP to the mask, was very generous and sent tons and tons of masks for them to work on. So um, basically, they they just kept getting all of these masks and they would just play around with them until they, yeah, they got, got the right. look that they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would take pictures of them, see how it looked in lighting, all of that. And then the robes got an update too. So um, they look like they got an update. Yes. So she said that each sleeve has six pieces to signify scream six. I call it the ghost face wings. There are three on the classic fabric. And then we found a found a shimmery sheer fabric that I would normally think is horrible. But again, it's for a Halloween costume. It's perfect. And it goes behind it because the thing um, about Ghostface is the directors love how domineering and big and bulky he or she always feels. So when I layered the semi-sheer fabric behind it, it became more ominous and creepier. And when it was camera tested, it looked strangely beautiful, but also terrifying. So I decided to do six panels on each sleeve to show that we're in film number six. You think anybody ever got that, though? I mean, I you said it. I thought the costume did look a little different, but I definitely was not counting what yeah, was going on in the I sleeves. I thought it looked different, but I was like, oh, I yeah. didn't know it got six sleeves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is the first film in the franchise that has three killers instead of two or one, which is debatable. But technically, technically, there's five ghost faces if you want to count Jason and his friend Greg from the beginning. Because they were dressing True. up as ghost faces and going out and killing True. people. So, yeah, there you go. And this is the first movie of the franchise to see more than one ghost face killer in costume in the same shot. And the first one to have two of the killers attacking a victim at the same time. So that's a bit of a change. Because normally, yeah. yeah, it's like you run around the corner, there's the other one, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that was pretty epic when they, they stop and they do that, like, knife swipe at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I wonder how many times they had to do it to get it, like, exactly in sync. But it looked yeah. very cool. Very much so. Yeah. This film breaks a new record in the franchise with the highest number of survivors, seven by the end. Unlike previous ghost faces who are all obsessed with horror films, this ghost face outright yells, Fuck the movies. Who gives a fuck about movies? And when that happened the first time we watched the movie, like everyone in the theater was just like, Whoa. Like so excited. Like that was a great way to open it. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Um, and also this ghost face gets more to the point, just kills victims rather than toying with them. That's another difference using firearms while still in costume. It's not totally not, not the norm, right? Right, Normally we just use the knives. Um, and the Bailey's family motive is less about creating a real life horror film and more about just getting revenge for the death of Richie. So that's, that's the difference. Uh, Ghost faces customary final jump scare during the credits has him pumping a shotgun instead of wielding a knife. So I'm we may be entering a new era of ghost face weapons. Yeah, we may probably will continue with this. At 17, Jack Champion is the youngest actor in the franchise to play one of the killers, and he's also one of only two teenagers to actually play a teenage ghost face. Emma Roberts was 19 when Scream 4 was shot, so she's the other one. And everybody else, Skeet, Matthew, um, Rory, who played in Char- who played Charlie in Scream 4, um, Amber, like all of them who you think are teens are actually in their 20s. Yeah, 
Absolutely. But I, I was surprised he was 17. That's pretty young. Because normally, you know, they don't cast like that. Congratulations to him, though. Mm-hmm. And it was a surprise for Jack and Liana when they found out that they would both be playing ghost faces, according to the producer, Jad Valella. One of the best parts of all that was that they didn't get the third act of the script at all, he said in an interview with Collider. So they're in their costume fittings and they tried on their costumes. And then we came in and we're like, there's one more thing you have to try on. And then we brought out the ghost face robe and the mask so they could try it on for the first time. And that is how they found out. So the other cast didn't know that they were nobody. Nobody knew, I guess, because they didn't give out the third act. That's great. You know, which is, again, you want to prevent leaks and all that stuff. So, yeah, they're literally in a fitting and they're just like, oh, by the way, you need to try on the the robes and see how they fit you. And then it's like, oh, it's me. (laughs) I did it. Okay, that's great. And, you know, um, in particular, um, Liana had to be like, wonder what's going on because she dies pretty early in the movie. Yes. You know, and now she gets the ghost face. So it's like, "Mm, okay, that's pretty legit. She gets a reprieve. Mm hmm. So special effects and stunts. Max LaFerriere was the stuntman that wore the ghost face costume in this movie. And he's going to be at. Spooky Empire? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just saw that someplace. So, yeah, it's very cool. He'll be in Florida soon. Melissa Barrera told Collider that the upcoming sequel has the potential to be 100 times gorier than any of the previous entries in the series. She said that the directors were always asking to increase the amount of blood on set. There was a saying on set because the directors, Matt and Tyler, were always asking for more blood, more sweat. They always just wanted more. And I think you can see that. Yeah. Especially during the bathroom scene when she's like, that guy's dead. Mm-hmm. It was pretty intense. It was like a Michael Myers level. Yeah, like, like it was really thrashed. Yes. Uh-huh. Even though he's on it very quickly, but yes. And the costume designer, Avery Plews, estimated that she made 200 costumes with 140 extras on set for the subway shoot. Jesus, that's a lot. Yep. About 45 of those extras would change clothing after getting off the train car and then reappear in different costumes. So she said it was a 25-75 rule, where 25% of the costumes were creepy at the beginning, and then it progressively just got worse and worse. Which, again, I think is very thoughtful and a, a cool way to do build the suspense, I guess. Absolutely. Courtney Cox did her own stunts during Gail's showdown with Ghostface. Really? Mm-hmm. She said, that was the bulk of my time filming. It was very physical. It was my favorite scene that I've ever done in a screen movie because I got to really fight with Ghostface. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool for her. And there were no props left over from previous films. Not even the graphics files from posters and book covers. So everything for that shrine had to be recreated from scratch. Man, good Mm -hmm. thing I work for a movie studio and they have the budget to do that. They had to go through the films and made a list of all the murders and the victims. And then basically had to... uh, collect you know whatever they thought was important and remake it i wonder why though and they said the only stab references were from scream 3 because that was actually about making a stab movie right but yeah i don't know then they didn't no hold idea. on to any of the props i'm not sure like what, what i know the they auctioned was. them off so like, it's probably that's probably where the problem is then. It's, it's At just different uh, production companies like Miramax had the rights for that. Mm-hmm. They auctioned off some of the stuff. Yeah, so there's probably this stuff is sitting in like collector's homes. Yeah. And not, not available for them. 
Yeah. All right. So last trivia. Although Courtney Cox and Roger Jackson are the only actors who have had roles in all six films, this is the first time they have directly interacted via telephone. Because if you'll remember in Scream 2, Randy intercepted the phone call before okay. Yale could get to it. So this is the first time they talked. Kevin Williamson revealed that Kirby would have been back sooner, but they couldn't find Hayden. Yeah, they said, we're like, where's Kirby? We couldn't find her. Williamson, who wrote Scream 4, as well as the original and its sequel, uh, recalled in a new interview with Variety that she doesn't have an agent and she just sort of disappeared. That blows my mind that she doesn't have an agent. Mm -hmm. She just kind of books her own work. I mean, that's, now I guess, because she wasn't acting. So she probably was like, I don't need to pay you. I'm not doing anything. That's pretty cool. That means she didn't have an agent mm -hmm. fee. So the money that she got went just straight went to, to her. her. Yeah. And I mean, essentially the way they found her was eventually they just made a connection and they're like, hey, do you know where I can find Hayden? We'd like to get in touch with her. And that's that's how that went. Don't you, wouldn't you think you would have Twitter or something like that? You tweet at her, be like, hey, can you hit us up? I, I DM her on just Instagram. Do, I don't know if she has social media like oh, that. Oh, she does. We befollow her on of Instagram. Of course, you would know that. I like Hayden Pantier. I liked her in face. Heroes when she popped off in Heroes. Look at and your And then face. even in Nashville, oh my I was God. a fan of Nashville because of her. What other shows was she in? I Scream 4, I You're know that. You're such a big fan of hers. You tell me. She's been in other things. Oh, okay. Keep going. All right. So as we all know, Nev Campbell stated on June 6, 2022, she was not coming back to play Sydney due to a salary dispute with Paramount. So that's key. Like, let's keep in mind that she was not arguing with the writers, director, producers. It was with Paramount because, as you said, they set the budget and right. pay everybody. They should have just paid her. Mm, I agree. They made enough money and then some. I they should have just fucking paid agree. her. I agree. So do you, do you, let's pause it. Do you know how much more money this film could have made if Sydney was if in Sydney it? was in it instead of just a reference to her? Yeah, I mean, I like the reference, but mm -hmm. I think it was a half-ass attempt. They had acknowledged she's real and still part of the franchise, right. and not ignore her character completely. So yeah, they did do that throwaway line to say, "Oh, she deserves her happy ending." But I said to you, and I'll say it again. I want to see it on screen. So if you want to give Sydney a true happy ending, bring her back for one true last film and do something with her. Like if you're going to kill her, kill her. If you're going to let her ride off into the sunset with Mark and her kids, then do that. But actually do allow it to play out on screen. Yes. Versus Show, not she was tell. there and now we're like, great. Where'd she go? Yeah. they ha The producers have to mm -hmm. fix that void for the franchise to actually move on, in my yeah. opinion. And they, they have actively said they would love to have her back. So, Well, maybe if you would pay her, Well, she's hopefully worth. Paramount will be like, we'll not look at this like, oh, the movie did well without her. Hopefully they'll say, okay, yeah, we should, we're doing well. Let's bring her back. Tom her. Cruise did not take a pay cut for Top Gun. You know who pointed that out? Matthew Lillard. He did, yes. Mm -hmm. Good old Matthew. So Campbell's official statement said, as a woman, I've had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt that the offer was 
presented to me did not equate the value I had brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and what this franchise has given me over the past 25, 25 years. That's a long time. 25 years. So yeah, so hopefully they'll be able to rectify the situation. I hope they do. But I have seen that where they've openly said they would love to have her back. Well, maybe if Paramount will cut the check and, mm-hmm. and she'll handle Get the rest. Get shit together, Paramount. Courtney Cox was the first cast member to sign up to return as Gail, and she said that she did not hesitate to return because she loves playing Gail. And I feel like you can tell she loves playing Gail. And she jokingly even said she'd play her for free. Obviously not really. Obviously not really. <laughs> not really, but, you know. Um... Courtney Cox has actually played Gail now in six installments, all in theaters, and they've been released across four decades. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. We're getting old. (laughs) It's like, that's wrong. That No, that's absolutely (laughs) true. Uh, So this is a record for any actress, a feat that she shares with Mila Jovovich, who appeared in all six Resident Evil films before the reboot. Good word. I shouldn't have put that in there. Um, Somebody on the subway is dressed as Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff Girls. And Roger L. Jackson, who is our ghost face, is also the voice of that character, Mojo Jojo. So we'll call out to him. That's cute. One of the film's marketing stunts caused a uh, slight panic. I don't know if you all heard about this, but (laughs) in early March, people in Ghostface costumes were sent out to various cities as part of a viral marketing ploy. I think good in thought, right? Uh Like to, to, yeah. But in one of those cities, um, Sonoma, California, to be specific, where the original Scream was actually filmed, uh, police received several 911 calls from alarmed locals. That's funny. I My whole thing is maybe as a studio or whoever organized this, you should have said to the police, there's going to be a ghost face at this location for this time period. Yes. he He's not doing anything. <laughs> like, he's promoting our movie. Yeah. Oh, that was a major, major I don't know. Maybe tell, like, the neighborhood that you're nearby or somebody, like... The general vicinity where you are, like shop owners or whoever you're nearby, right? Maybe say to them too, like, hey, there's a ghost face out here, but he's part of the movie. Okay, so please don't call the police. I wonder if the police actually rolled up on him and was like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a, sure they did. I'm an actor. I got paid to do this. <sighs> oh, boy. So in Jason's apartment, we were talking about there are posters um, for like movies. There's also posters for podcasts that cover horror content in his living room. In particular, there's one for the last podcast on the left, which covers a lot of true crime stories and a poster for We Hate Movies. Um, And I guess the hosts of that podcast watch films and decide if they should be left to the waste bin of time. Okay. So they're critics, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Lucy. Hey. Come here. Come Lucifer. here. Sorry, Lucifer is making the, the video shake because he's an idiot. <gasps> Sorry, Lucy. Okay, so there's a, the bodega in the film is called Abe's Snake, which I saw two different things about this. So um, 
It's supposed to be a reference to the pseudonym Abe Snake, which was Wes, which Wes Craven used when he directed adult films in the 1970s. Wes Craven directed adult films? Said. That's what it said. Wow. I um, didn't know that. But the Bettinelli Open said that the idea actually came from Ice Nine Kills singer Spencer Charnas, who originally made the reference on a band flyer he was asked to provide for the bodega scene. And they said, oh, let's steal that. <laughs> So um, there is a little flyer for the band on the refrigerator and we got friendly with them over the last couple of years and he sent that to put in the scene and he put Abe's snake pit as the location of their show and we were like, oh, let's steal that. Let's do that for the bodega. So I don't know what the the truth is. I mean, I would assume I would go with what the director actually said, but I just, yeah, that's pretty the cool. connection is funny. The film score actually incorporates some musical callbacks to um the original scream so um when sam and tara swarmed by reporters the motif playing is from a similar scene in the original when sydney arrives at school and encounters a swarm of reporters it's called trouble in woodsboro in the original score and then later when gail alludes to dewey in a conversation with sam we hear his theme from throughout the franchise and um, Red Right Hand also plays after he cuts a campus following Sam's therapist's death and again after the finale. And the song has now appeared in every Scream film with excluding the fourth one. So almost every Scream film. Okay. So five of them it's appeared in. So I thought that was a fun little fact. Following the release of the 2022 Scream, Kevin Williamson revealed that Scream 4 was actually supposed to be the start of a new trilogy. He said that in his original vision for a fifth movie, Jill would have gone to college where Sydney was a professor and faced off with a killer who knew that she had been the killer in the previous film. I think that would have been really cool. Uh-huh. And Scream 6 was going to answer whatever happened between Dewey and Gail. Sydney was in it, but it was going to be more focused on Gail's storyline. But because Scream 4 didn't perform as well as they wanted in the box office... It was um, the less the first film in the series to bring less than 100 million globally. Um, Williamson's vision basically just didn't happen. That sucks. But I was like, hell yeah, more Jill. I loved her. I I think they should have let her live mm-hmm. and get away with it. Yes, that's I agree. And um, I was listening to the Bra Meets World podcast. It's a um, they, a Boy Meets World fan cast, they call it. But they did a review on Scream 6. Okay. Just as like a bonus episode. But they were saying the same thing. Like in Scream 4, they should have let Jill get away with it and be the first killer to get away with it. Yeah. And then we could have seen where we went from there. I and I would have been, been down cool. for that because I really liked her. That would have been different spin mm-hmm. on the franchise. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all noticed, but after Quinn's death, in quotes... Detective Bailey tells Sam and Tara that anyone who messes with his family will die. And while he's saying it, he specifically eyes Sam, which makes sense because he clearly blames her for Richie's death and he's secretly a ghost face. Exactly. Which, uh, first time, I'm not going to pretend like I picked up on any of this. The second time, though, I was just like, ooh, look at the way he just said that and looked at her. (laughs) Like, uh it's so obvious now. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, that's a thing. Um, This is the first time in the franchise where the killers have no interest in Sydney. Well, she wasn't part of this one. She couldn't be part of it. And originally they were going to include her, but they had to rewrite it because of the negotiation thing. So I don't know how she would have fit in. But I didn't mind 
not having them go after Sydney, to be honest with you, it's not like that upset me, that storyline. No, I agree with that. Because we were wondering, like, how are you going to move on from here with just having the two sisters be the focus? And they did tie it in, but I'm not sure where we'll go now. Well, I feel like you might have to go back after Sydney to bring her back into the fold. We will talk about this in a minute. Let me get through my last couple things. We'll discuss. So the film's climax features a projection of a fictional movie made by Richie. And some of the footage is actually from actor Jack Quaid's real life home videos interspliced with footage for the film with voiceovers also provided by Quaid. He also revoiced all of the lines and stab that you hear in the sequence. So, that's cool. Yeah, I was like, okay, that's cool. Sam stabs Detective Bailey 31 times during the final act before finishing him off with the final stab to the eye. And she apparently stabbed Richie 22 times in the previous film before cutting his throat. So. Okay. I save this for the end because we said this when I first read this fact to you. Which, which motherfucker sat there and could count? How many times? I have no she, idea. Because it's very fast in the movie. I mean, if you're seeing it six bow, times, bow, 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 bow. I'm sure you counted. I so. just, I'm like, who who could pick up on that? Because there's no way I could connect how many times her hand was going up and down during that sequence. <sighs> okay. So, last thing, which is what I was just saying we will get to in a second. Kirby and Mindy, they're talking, right? And the TV that killed Stu is in this stupid shrine that they've built. And Mindy, well, Kirby says that's the the TV that killed Stu, right? And then Mindy says, if you believe he's dead. Yeah. So. So. It's a big fan theory, apparently, you know, this whole Stu thing, which I am fully on board for. And my question is, why the fuck has he not come back? Now, if Sydney's not in this, then I don't want him in it. Okay. I don't know how you feel about that. But if Sydney was not in this movie, then just, I guess I will come to terms, like, don't bring Stu back yet. Because it would be, I guess, more special to have Sydney be part of it. Right. But. Well, do you think Matthew Lillard would want to come back if. I don't know. I really want to ask him and be like, could you please make sure that they include her and then you come back and murder everybody. So this is what I would like to see. And we, we've talked about this endlessly now. So everybody knows my, that I am on board with the fact that Wes said Angelina was the second killer in Scream 3. Yes. But she got away. But no one acknowledges this, so it's, it's whatever. But Wes said it. He said it. He acknowledged it. So we think... Well, I think you agree, right? I do agree. I think okay. it'd be a good We think story. that what should happen in the next movie is that Stu and Angelina have teamed up, and now they are back, and they are... After Sydney. After Sydney. And then they tie everybody else back into the yes. fold. And then you can end Sydney's storyline, and we finally, maybe we'll actually kill Stu. Yes. Sorry, Matthew, but, you know. I think that would tie everything together nicely. Yes. And Nev Campbell could go off and do whatever she wants. And you'll placate the fans to a certain extent by giving Sydney a good send-off, and you bring Stu in, which they have been hinting at, which, number one, this fucking line, if you believe he's dead. Like, you have to be setting something up with that. And well, then it's I a got, missed opportunity if they don't. 
And then what made me mad was I'm actually kind of pissed off that they had Ghostface interact with Gail on this one because the line is like, oh, it's nice to to finally talk to you on the phone after all this time, whatever they say, right, as uh-huh. Ghostface. But it's Quinn, and it's just like, well, you're, you've been Ghostface for five seconds. Right. If it was Stu saying that line as the Ghostface talking to Gail, like, it oh, it's about more. time we talked on the phone. Oh, my God. It would have just – it would have been so much better. Yeah. To I have that, that particular line. Not to have her, you know, like, it's it's gone now. Like, it's part of the that, movie. It's, it is mo- what it is. That but, moment is But it would have been so much better if it was Stu or Angelina, but I would prefer Stu to be on the other end of that line saying, saying that to her. But, no, I agree. You know, it's gone. So, anyway, so if they don't bring back Stu in the next movie, I think they might end up with fans, like, revolting because they have been hinting at this. For a long time. It's a missed opportunity. Yes, it is. So, yeah, just saying. I am ready for a stew killer. To come back, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Okay, that's all I wanted to say about that. Okay, so I have some quotes. Jason, which we've already kind of referenced, but um, he says, as he's dying at the beginning of the movie, we have to finish the movie. And, of course, Ghostface raises his knife and says, who gives a fuck about movies? Yep. Ah, I love it. It was such a great, that was a great, a great beginning of the great opener of the movie. So good. That set the tone for the whole movie. Yes, I mean, you originally you open the movie, and you've got you know your your lady waiting on a date, and first of all, this horror movie tropes do not go down a dark alley by yourself. Yes. Are you kidding me? He keeps saying, "Do you see me, nuclear bitch? You don't see anybody." There's nobody in the alley. Why are you walking down it? Clearly. Oh, yeah. I, I see the, the dumpster. No. No. Don't do that. And then she had so much time to leave. run away. Does she? No. And then he's just like, you know, basically like, you're an idiot because you fell for this and you teach it in college. And then bow, bow, bow. She's dead. But it was interesting because, you know, like, we've had openers with the kills. Like, um, Jada Pekin Smith. Got got it in the the movie theater. In the stream too, yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember, but that yes. was at the beginning. Like, yes. Yeah. But this one, the twist where he pulls the mask off, I mean automatically you're like, well, this can't, can't be, be the actual, actual killer. Yeah, yeah, because why would they just reveal it two seconds in what's going on? So that was interesting that you have these like two wannabes dumbasses, yeah, who are worshiping the film and obviously at some point had a plan to kill Sam and Tara because they were actively talking about that and you know, that was just stupid. But I wasn't sad to see him die. I was like, Well, Ghostface should have gotten you. You deserved it because you're a wannabe, like you said. But that was just such a well-done opener, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so another quote. Ethan, um, after he stabs Tara in the side, says, gotcha. And then Tara takes her knife and stabs him in the mouth and twists it and then tells him, now die a fucking virgin. I loved that. That's that was great. Funny. Yeah. Because they, honestly, they gave Tara a lot in the first movie. And in this one where she's just screaming and running away and she's getting like injured and right, you know, and in this one, it was so great to see her finally be like, you know what? No, no, fuck you. I'm going to take control of this situation. Yeah. Gave her some vindication. And she looked so happy when she did it to him. And I was like, you deserved it. So good job. 
Um, and then a line from Mindy when she says, I got it wrong again. Fuck this franchise. I That's just, funny. <laughs> I really liked Mindy being so mad about the whole thing. And honestly, like, the last movie, I have to be honest, when we were getting the introduction of the characters, we were kind of like, eh, about all of them. And that does include Mindy. Yeah. But I really started to like her in this. She really was doing a good Randy. version of Randy as a relative of Randy and without copying Randy. She was doing a good, like, homage to him, I guess you could yes. say. I think that was great. And then the way, like, she was so sure it was Ethan. And then, like, every time they got stuck together at the subway. And how she's literally, like, glaring at him. And look away. Don't look at me. Staying away from him on the subway. And then texting her brother, like, I'm with Ethan, a.k.a. Ghostface. Like, she, I mean, she was right. Yeah. She got it right. So, I guess she got a redemption at the end <laughs> because of that. But, yeah, it was, I really enjoyed Mindy's character in this one. You know, and she got like hella stabbed and she made it across that ladder. Yeah. So props. Yeah. Good job. Her girlfriend didn't make it, but. She was not going to die. She was not going to make it. He took the fucking knife to like twist it in her and then cut up. Like. Yeah. What was left in there? I mean, you're not going to survive that. No, I agree. I'm sorry that you, you were cute, but no, it was not going to happen. You knew you were not going to be a final girl. But she had a great death. Yes, she did. Shake, shake, shake. Bow. That was a good one. Um, so at the end, Sam, after she, you know, does her like 10,000 stabs of Detective Bailey says, my father was a murderer and I'm better than that. But you did what fuck with our family. So and then stabs him in the eye. That was a great death. I enjoyed that. Boom. Great death. That was that was great. Yeah. I loved the line, the way she did it, the way she looked at her sister. It was it was classic. And Kirby, after she knocks the television on Ethan, says, saw that in a scary movie once. And I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope it worked on Ethan, though. Yeah. Since it didn't work on Stu. Wouldn't you make sure he was dead, though? I would have since I, I'm assuming Stu is alive. I would have been like, are you still alive down there? I mean, realistically, if a TV falls on you, it might knock you out. But if it doesn't hit you in the right okay. place... But Stu's thing was the TV fell on him and electrocuted him, and he survived. So Ethan could have survived. But Ethan also had that whole night yeah. thing. Yeah. So he probably just bled out and died. That's fine. And then at the end as well, um, before she kills him, Sam dons the ghost face outfit of her father and the mask, and she calls Detective Bailey. And, of course, she says, I've got one question for you. And Detective Bailey says, oh, yeah, what's that? And she says, what's your favorite scary movie? That's the only time they say it. They did not say it because that was not, they were not out torturing like yes, you were saying. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad they put it in there because it's, it's a classic. Yeah, absolutely. So you associate that with Scream. Yep. So I'm so happy that they made it in there, even if it was right at the end. Yes. And then we were talking at the end after she does her blah, blah, blah of him and she, uh, Sam and Tara kind of walk out and, you know, um, Richie's movie is playing. There was just like a perfect moment there where I almost wish the movie ended there and we didn't go to the outside scene. Like I didn't mind the, the last outside scene with Kirby and all of them talking and, you know, and Kirby's like, you know, we're all in this together, whatever. I didn't mind that, but okay. I don't know. It was just something about the way it was shot, I guess. Where they come out, everything is finally done, and they just sit together. 
for a second, you know? Mm-hmm. And that almost just seemed like a perfect scene to just be like, okay, what's going to happen next time? And then we picked it up yeah. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, but we would also like to point out while we were sitting there, we were like, why is nobody going to get help for Kirby? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, they are locked in. So, but when you wouldn't um, you be trying to get out of there? So to there was get, an exit up top. I don't know why they weren't trying to go back up there. No, I agree. To uh, get I help. Agree. Yeah, poor Kirby, but she survived. So, lives so, again. Thank God. Overall, um, great movie. Yes, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Yes, I would happily see it again, which mm-hmm. we probably will. I'm can't wait to buy it on DVD and. Mm-hmm watch things the that we didn't the and extras and pick on up it. on things that we missed mm-hmm. while we're in the movie theater but i definitely recommend seeing it in the movie theater it's a whole nother experience yes it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen but we we think that about a lot of movies but definitely this one so yeah it's it's just a fun fun movie and i did not mind as much the sam psycho stuff as i thought i would because I'm, I'm not really big on her, like, seeing Billy and doing their whole back and forth thing. and I'm But I'm curious to see where we're going to do it in the future. Because she kept the mask with her until the end. And then she kind of looks at it and drops it. But I'm just like, where are, we, where are we going with this? Because when she kills people, too, she is literally a psychopath. Yeah. Bow, bow, bow. I mean, no one else was doing that. Just her. So she definitely has that, like, Screw tendency. Yes. Yeah, so I'm very curious where we kind of keep developing Sam. And now I'm happy that we share the same name. So thank you for redeeming her. I liked her a lot better in this movie. So we both give it a thumbs up. So if you have not seen mm-hmm. it, go. go see it. Yes. Really recommend it. Last question. Where would you rank it? I was been thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um probably more at the top. Like mm-hmm. I would probably go scream one this one scream four and then go from there did you have where did you have scream two at in your ranking before was it fourth yeah okay see i would probably honestly would put you gotta keep the original i think at the top uh, because yeah exactly it. but i i probably would put the second yes yeah mm-hmm. and then i would go scream one this scream six scream mm-hmm. two scream two or scream four I mean, Scream 4. Scream 2. Then Scream 2. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, then I had 5 and then 3 at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think we have the same list. Because yeah. I was surprised because I thought we would not rank them the same. So, yeah. I would still leave... Sorry, Scream 3, but I just can't hang with you. Still leave you at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, I liked it, but it's they could have done without that one. Yeah. And I mean, any Scream movie is a good movie. But this one, I think it's a great refresh on i don't know where they're gonna go from here no, i'm no, definitely no. curious to how they're gonna get the franchise going from here bring back still i hopefully they have i'm sure they have people thinking about it now oh yeah because they've already got like the green light for scream 7 i believe i read that somewhere do they already I didn't i'm know pretty that. sure i read that someplace so that's great so yes. all right well Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for Like, in subscribe, mm-hmm. comment, let us know what you think. Let yeah. us know wh- when you see the movie what you think. Mm-hmm. And thank you for tuning in. Yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye. 
You Can't Kill the Boogeyman podcast is produced and hosted by Robbie and Sammy Brooksby as part of the Limitless Broadcasting Podcast Network. Post-production and intro by Sammy Brooksby. Follow the show on Instagram at BoogeymanPod. You can also follow the Limitless Broadcasting Company at Limitless Broadcasting and your horror hosts at Robert1950 Studios and at The Samalam. We also have a TikTok at 1950 Studios. Email your creepy comments and spooky suggestions to us at boogeymanpod at gmail.com. Don't forget, everyone is entitled to one good scare. Have a horrific week.